I'm grateful uh, today for the folks who are here and for the folks who are here. Uh, last time I checked with Joe, there were 156 viewers. 162 out there in the ether somewhere. Um, uh, since those of you on the, on, uh, that are streaming don't uh, have the bulletin, I guess, right? Because it'd be kind of hard to have the bulletin on one device and a, yeah. You can do it. Oh, it's on there? Okay. Yeah, so, but... I guess in some of the people in this church have a Bible at home. So um, <laughs> a few, a handful, right? Uh, anyway, um, we've been looking at the book of Ezra. We're going to do that today. So uh, those of you who are uh, uh, streaming, you can go grab it. The rest of you can look here. I am grateful for uh, uh, the fact that we uh, we have the technology to be able to do this. I'm grateful to the folks who who came here this morning, and I'm also grateful to the folks who uh, are um, streaming uh, us uh, today as well. Uh, Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Uh, This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, Son of Azariah, son of Mariot, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Aaron, uh, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So you you probably aren't paying attention to this with everything that's gone on in the world and in your life probably in the last 72 hours or the last week. uh, You're probably not paying a lot of attention or thinking, I can't wait to hear more about Ezra. And so... uh, Uh, You're probably not paying a a heck of a lot of attention to what's going on here, but he starts here by saying, after this. Well, this after this is a 60-year period from when we last looked at Ezra. Last time we looked, they had dedicated the temple. They celebrated the Passover. They celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And now it's 60 years later. Uh, And so what we have here is uh, finally uh, we're into the seventh chapter of the book. We get introduced to... The, who the book's entitled, right? Ezra. So finally he shows up. He's a relatively young man, uh, and, uh, uh, quite a, quite an impressive young man, uh, at that. And so what we read here is that at, during this time, he, uh, and a group of other, uh, priests and temple servants, uh, who are in Babylonia, who are still, uh, uh, ways away from Jerusalem, get up and they come back to Jerusalem. Now we don't know why his parents, or his grandparents for that matter, didn't bring him 
to Jerusalem when the original group of people came. Because remember, folks, folks have been going back to Jerusalem now for a long time. And we're not given any information about that. We don't know why. Perhaps his family still had a ministry to do there uh, in the uh, in Babylon. Uh, perhaps they had uh, other things that, that caused that. But for whatever reason, Ezra uh, decides, along with some other folks, that it's time to go back to Jerusalem. Uh, and he goes and he asks the king uh, if he can do that, because not only is he a priest, but he's also a um uh, a government official, he's someone who who has uh, the king's ear. And so he takes the four-month trip through a Middle Eastern summer from uh, uh, Babylon all the way to Jerusalem. Pretty pretty big commitment, pretty pretty serious uh, thing uh, that that uh, that he's doing there. And so uh, we read, and, and, and in, as he's introduced to us here, a couple of things jump off the page about him. One is he has quite a pedigree. All these names here, you may not recognize many of them, but at least you probably recognize Aaron, right? Uh, and Zadok, who was the uh, high priest during the reign of, uh, uh, of David. So it's important that Ezra establishes credentials before uh, the people there in Jerusalem. He's a real priest from a real priestly line, uh, and he's got the credentials and the, you know, the pedigree to prove that. We're in Virginia. Pedigree matters, right? <laughs> right? I mean, there's only two kinds of people in Virginia. Born here's, come here's. And who's most important? As someone who's a come here, trust me, I know, I'm not very important. Especially if you're from North Carolina. Because... uh you know, that's just the way it is. But the, the fact of the matter is his pedigree mattered. And so he just doesn't show up and say, hey, I'm a priest. He he's able to show up and say, I come from a long line of priests. This is this is in my family line. I'm not assuming to myself uh, something that's not mine. This is what I was born to do. This is what I was raised to do. This is what my family does. And in this culture and in this place, I am a priest. Um, and so it's important for the people there in Jerusalem that when he shows up there, he's just not some guy who shows up and says, hey, I'm going to start preaching. Hey, I'm going to start working in the temple. Y'all come along and follow me. No, he's got credentials. He is he's somebody who 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 belongs. Right. Um, but the second thing that we notice about him is he has a dual authority. It's interesting, right, because it says that he uh uh, was uh, someone who went to the king and the king sent him and the king wanted him to go. But he's also there uh, by the decree of God. And so as, as Ezra comes, he understands that he has authority, not his own authority so much as the authority of, of his God, most importantly, but also the authority of the king. He's not uh, he's not there just on his own. He went and he asked the king. Which is another thing that we learn about him, because if, you've, if you're a student of the Bible at all, you understand that you just didn't walk into the palace of the king of Persia and say, hey, I want to go do something. Are you going to let me do it? Remember the crazy story in Esther, right? Before Esther, his wife can even go talk to the Persian king. He has to dip his, uh, uh, his uh, scepter at her to, to say, hey, it's OK for you to come in here. 
Nehemiah, as we'll see in a few weeks, he, he, <laughs> the cupbearer, the king, he had to go through all sorts of protocol and fear and everything to be able to approach the king and to talk to him. But it says, the scripture said he was sad. And you don't, you're not only do you not go ask the king anything, you're not sad in his presence. That we don't want to bring the king down. We don't want to bother him with your requests. And so one of the things that we learn about Ezra is that, that he had the king's ear and the king uh, received him and granted him leave to go to Jerusalem and do his, his, his ministry. Third, we notice that he is skilled in the law of Moses. Now, you don't get what, what that doesn't mean that he spent all of his time just on the Ten Commandments, you know, like because honestly, you know, there's there's when we read here about the law of Moses, we're talking about the first five books uh, of the Bible. It's probably it's possible that he might have even memorized all five of them. I mean, he's a serious student of the word of God, right? Um uh, you know, we, we've, we've done over the last couple of years our little scripture memory thing with, uh, uh, with our kids here and with, with, with our families. You know, we've got the magnets, we've got the posters, we're, we're learning the word of God. One well, Ezra's house growing up, they had the whole first five books of the Bible on the refrigerator. Right? <laughs> so, so that wherever, wherever he went, he was able to learn that and to, uh, uh, to have great facility with it. Right? Um, but not only is that the case that that's, that he knew the word of God, he wasn't just a scholar. As Kevin said, he was a reformer, but it's interesting. You know, sometimes when we hear the word reformer, what we're tempted to think is, you know, a reformer is somebody who steps into a situation, steps into a church, steps into a country, steps into a city or a county or something like that, sees what's wrong. And fixes it. Right? That's, that's the way we tend to think. That's the, the way we tend to think about reformers. And there's some truth to that. There's some value to that. But one of the things that is important for this is, it, to, to see about it is that he had set his heart to study the law of God and to do it. So it wasn't just that Ezra was a reformer of, of other people or other institutions or those things. He was, he reformed himself first. Right. It wasn't just that he studied the word of God. He studied it and it was something that uh, uh, changed him. It was something that he did. It's fact that it says that he gave himself uh, to the study of the word of God, that he gave himself. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, the God of Israel had given. And the king granted all that he asked for, for the hand of the Lord was on him. So it's, it's when he, when we read that, what we have to see about him is it wasn't just that Ezra liked the Bible. It wasn't just that he liked the law of God. It was something that was dear to him. It was something he was passionate about. It was something that meant a lot to him. It mattered to him that, that God had spoken. It mattered to him that God had put his words down on, on paper and it mattered to him that he could take that and he could study that and he could apply those things in his life before he applied them to the lives of other people. And so the, the part of what gave him authority, I'm sure, was not just his credentials and, and not just his learning and that sort of thing, but his very character. Because when you're around somebody like that who knows the word of God, and it, it doesn't just know it as an, in an academic sense, but knows it and applies it, it's impressive. It's challenging. It's comforting. It's, it's convicting, right? 
So he was that kind of person. And, and, and he is sent by the king, asked to go back to Jerusalem. Now, why is it necessary 60 years after the temple is built for God to send a reformer to his people? Well, remember, you know, this, we've been through this, this kind of situation with these people before. They, they move, they go back to Jerusalem. They start like a house on fire to get the temple rebuilt. And they meet with some disappointment and some discouragement and they quit. And so God sends prophets to preach. Now the temple's been built. The people are settled. Life is going the way it goes. And now he's sending a reformer to preach the word of God to them. Why is that? Well, um, this is not going <laughs> to... This is a funny message to, to talk about on a day like today. But sometimes life going smoothly is deadly spiritually. You know? So for 60 years, the temple's been built. For 60 years, the people have been living, working there in Jerusalem. And as we'll see as we get further into the book of Ezra, uh, they are running the danger of falling into the same sins of presumption, of disobedience, of not taking God very seriously, certainly taking him for granted that their ancestors did. And so God is sending them someone who is passionate about the word of God, sending them someone who knows the word of God to proclaim to them uh, the truth, to give them an opportunity to be re-remembered, to remember the truth, to see it worked out and lived in someone's life and to change their lifestyle and change their understanding to grow in accord with it. Because here's the thing. Here's the truth about us, right? We... uh, um, we take the Bible seriously here. Uh, I take the Bible seriously. I, I gave, I, I've given my life to it, and I forget what the Bible says all the time. Not, not that I forget, you know, oh, I, I can't remember John 3.16 or something like that, but I live often as if I, there's no Bible, or if there is, it doesn't apply to me. So Marty and I were away uh, for a couple of days in North Carolina uh, visiting her uh, elderly parents. Uh, and we, we, we returned uh, yesterday and uh, we were talking to our kids on the way back and they, you know, they needed us to go to the grocery store to do stuff and all of that kind of thing. And I thought, well, you know, it was, is I miss, I'm expecting because we were in very rural part of North Carolina when, it, when I, we had a staff meeting Friday morning and I had to go find a ridge to stand on so I could get the bars to talk on the phone to the church staff. Uh, I thought, well, it'll be a ghost town. We'll just cruise right into Wegmans here right off of 288, pick up whatever we want and we'll be set. Because everybody's at home, locked down, hunkered down, like a, as my dad used to say, like a jackrabbit in a hailstorm, right? So, so that's that's what's that's what's going to happen. Well, we get here and there's all I see all these people, and so we go into the grocery store. And one of the things that I love to do, I was trained to do this by my parents. You know, uh, you don't need TV if you're a people watcher. 
So I'm watching the people in the grocery store pick their nose. So I thought, okay, let's play a game. How many people do I see picking their nose? How many people do I see touching their face? How many people do I see shaking hands? And how many people do I see hugging? It's all over the place. All over the place. Um, and then I thought, um, one of the things, uh, one of the uh, things I've done to, to try to keep weight off is because I am a hog for ice cream. The fattest, richest, nastiest kind of ice cream that you can eat. And so it's not good for me. You know, the combination of sugar and fat, deadly. So I eat popsicles instead because I like something cold and sweet. I'm just weird that way. So I was going to the freezer case to get some popsicles, praying on the way like, Jesus, I know this store is cleaned out, but I really need some popsicles. So uh, help me get some popsicles. So I stand in front of the, the freezer door there, and I waited a couple of minutes just looking at it to see who touched it before me. <laughs> like all the people I watched pick their nose and all the people I watched shake hands, uh, did they touch this door before I touched it? All that to say, you can have been alive in America in the last 72 hours without being told to wash your hands a million times. Don't touch your face. Don't, don't touch other surfaces. Don't hug people. Don't kiss people. Don't shake hands. And I see people doing it all over the place. Now, thankfully, what I've observed of this crowd today is that you've been pretty good. And most of you are spaced out, right? Uh, away from each other. So you're, you're practicing social distancing. So here's the thing. If it's, if it's a matter of life and death that you need to wash your hands and not pick your nose, and I bet me just saying that to you made some of you compulsively want to pick your nose, right? Doesn't it? Right? It's just like wet paint. You got to touch it. So if I tell you, you know, if you say don't, don't do that, you're going to do it. You're touching your face. You're coughing into your hand and then shaking somebody's hand. You're kissing somebody, right? So, so the, the fact is if those things slip off my mind and heart in the midst of a crisis, How much more so is the promise of the love of God going to slip off my heart in a time of crisis? How much more so is are these other things going to slip off my heart in the times when things are fine? And so one of the things that is true here, and I expect that what's going on there in Jerusalem is life has been going on normally. There's probably been a great economy, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the temple, reestablishing the community. There's lots of business. The stock market has set a record. Everything's going great. And what do the people do? They begin to slip a little bit. So God sends his word. That's a great thing for us to do and to think about today is that God loves his people so much that he sends to them his word to remind them once again, here's what's true. Here's who you are. Here's who I am. And here's what I have done for you in Jesus Christ. That's what we need today. One of the reasons why I uh, wanted folks to consider 
having a day of prayer and fasting tomorrow, uh, and the tool that will be uploaded onto the, uh, onto the um, website is, is 90% Bible. Because one of the things that we could take advantage of during this time of disruption is to read the Bible. You know, um, um, I, I, as I was putting it together this morning, I, you know, I, I've, I've, the, one of the very first passages of the Bible my parents taught me before I could even read was the 23rd Psalm. And what good it did me this morning just to read those words, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me, right? And so when we, sometimes what we, we tend to think about people who are serious Bible scholars or whatever is that, is that they take the scriptures and they use them as a weapon. God is taking Ezra and he is using him in a very gentle yet direct way to say, hey, here's the truth. Here's the good news. Your God is for you. You have it unfolded for you in the pages of his word. Open your eyes, read it, and ask him to give you his spirit so that you can believe it. And then in tiny, minuscule ways, begin to put a tiny bit of what you read into practice. Ezra must have been quite a man, right? Learned, bold, pedigreed. Uh, when I was reading about him, I was thinking in many ways, he reminds me of uh, when I went to college, uh, I had never, you know, I grew up in rural part of North Carolina, and I showed up at a, at a she-she private college with, with boys who dressed differently, who knew what a salad fork was, and uh, knew which, which implement to use for which course of the meal. I'd never seen or done anything like that in my life. Um, and they were uh, impressive guys. Um, as it turned out, uh, some of my best friends that I made in college were these guys who were impressive pedigree-wise, uh, who befriended me and helped me to learn how to dress, that you don't wear overalls uh, to a dance unless it's a square dance. Well, where I was from, I wore overalls to school every day. My mom hid them from me on the day of the National Honor Society uh, uh, induction because she was afraid I'd embarrass her by wearing overalls in front of the whole school, right? Here's a pedigreed man, a learned man, an impressive man who comes and teaches the people of God. Ezra can't hold a candle to Jesus Christ. Because not only is Jesus a teacher of the word, he is the word. And not only is Jesus the word, but made flesh, 
He is indeed the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Did Jesus have courage? You bet. He touched the lepers. He told the truth. And he died for us. Did Jesus have a pedigree? An impressive one that included uh, harlots and Moabites and faithless kings and adulterers. But great people as well. And Jesus took that pedigree, took his uh, life, took his reputation, sacrificed it all to hang naked on a cross for us to make full atonement. If those things are true, if, if Ezra was a reformer that the people could follow, how much more so should we on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, take Jesus at his word, take Jesus at his word and believe him and entrust ourselves into his hands and into his care. See, that's, that's the great thing. When we read about somebody like Ezra, who's an impressive, impressive person, as impressive as he is, he still can't make you righteous. He still can't atone for your sins. But Jesus can, because he has. Um, and so in light of that today, I was thinking as we typically, you know, we go to the Lord's Supper. I read the words of institution now, and then we uh, um, uh, take the Lord's Supper um, but I do, uh, we do have a confession of sin in our bulletin. And um, I just think it's uh, unwise for us ever to gather as the people of God to celebrate the cross and to celebrate the atoning work of Christ without having some sense of what it was Jesus atoned for. Um, that this, the sin that we're talking about is actually something uh, that's real. Uh, uh, and so uh, would you open your bulletins with me? We'll confess uh, our, our sins together, uh, and then we'll read the words of encouragement. Would you uh, confess your sin with me? Almighty God, you are full of grace and truth, but we have not understood your hand and our lives. We have occupied ourselves with our own concerns instead of submitting to your word. We have sought our own glory instead of obeying your law. We have not waited to find your will for us. We have not noticed the needs of others around us. We have not acknowledged your favor. Father, forgive us for our sins against you. Lord Jesus, lead us to live in light of your coming. Grant us your Holy Spirit that your good hand might be upon us. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Believer, hear the good news. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today uh, confessing uh, our neediness, uh, confessing our fears, uh, confessing uh, our, our guilt and our guilty consciences, confessing before you that uh, we are small and weak and overwhelmed. But Lord, none of that is news to you. None of that is even new to you. And not only is it not new to you, you knew that about us before we were even born. And yet you love us and you have come for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm grateful that our sin was not so repellent uh, to you that you uh, stayed away, that you turned your back, but instead you came all the way to us, living our life, dying our death, and rising again for us. Lord, I pray today for those who are overwhelmed with fear, uh, the uh, overarching proclamation of the gospel is do not be afraid. Help us, uh, Lord, uh, to take you at your word and to see that as the very truth. Lord, forgive us for thinking primarily of ourselves. Forgive us for thinking that you don't love us. Uh, forgiving, forgive us for confusing routine and normalcy uh, for your love. Yes, you're, you're there in the routine and the normalcy, but you're also uh, in the storm. And Lord, for those of us who think this storm will never pass or that you will never still the storm, Forgive us. Give us trust. Lord, our faith is weak and sometimes barely there at all. And so fan it into a flame by your spirit and by your word. Help us not to be proud and not to be braggadocious, not to be overbold, but to be confident that our help is in the name of the Lord our God who made heaven and earth. Would you do that for us today? We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have an opportunity to reflect on what was preached to us. I'm going to start by um, singing.